All right, welcome back to RUF. So glad you're here. Believe it or not, I missed you dearly. Uh, Oxford is a lonely place uh, when you're not here. And so welcome back uh, to RUF. I want to particularly uh, welcome those of you who maybe this is your first time uh, to an RUF weekly meeting. Um, what are we about? Well, to summarize, uh, we believe that no one is so bad that they're ever beyond the reach of God's grace. But at the very same time, no one is ever so good uh, that they're without the need uh, for God's grace. Uh, and that's really what we want to mark our community. We want to be a, a place where you can come, and I hope you feel this way. That's what we're after. And by God's grace, we'll get there. We want to be a place where you can come on Wednesday nights uh, and um, get, have the space to figure out what you believe about Christianity, but also have the space to struggle and deal with your own heart and your own uh, sin and messiness. Uh, and so we hope that uh, RUF, you'll find it to be a place uh, where that's true. And so welcome uh, back to RUF. And one of the things that you'll realize if you hang around us uh, for very long is that we go straight through books of the Bible. Uh, last, and we normally alternate between Old Testament and New Testament. Last semester we were in the book of Revelation in the New Testament, the last book of the Bible. And then this is our Old Testament semester. And so we're going to be studying the Old Testament book of Judges this semester. Why the book of Judges? Well, a couple of reasons, lots of reasons really, but I'll share two. One is it's actually my favorite book in the Old Testament. I don't know if you've read the book of Judges. I like it because it's just kind of crazy. <laughs> uh, it's uh, crazy. It's messy. Uh, you'll read, we're going to read stories this semester in a few weeks, we're going to see a king get stabbed in the belly and have a bowel movement. Yes, it's in there, I promise. Um, we're going to see a woman drive a tent peg uh, through uh, a man's skull. Uh, we're going to see people getting their eyes gouged out. You're like, I'm not sure I want to come back for this. Uh, but all of this book points us to Jesus. And that's what we're going to learn this semester. Secondly... Lots of times I've get students over my 10 years of doing campus ministry, they'll come up and they'll say, Jason, I don't understand the Old Testament. And particularly a crazy book like the book of, Judge, like the book of Judges. And one of the things you're going to realize this semester, if you hang with us, is that the people of God really aren't all that great. In fact we're going to see that at times they're downright terrible. And the question that we need to ask is what do you do with that? You see, the book of Judges forces us to say what do you do when the people of God are sometimes either as bad or worse than their enemies? The book of Judges forces us to deal with that. And one of our goals for this semester, one of the things I want you to see is that we're going to see page after page after page that the God of the Bible is really, really patient and really, really loving and really, really gracious with people like me and people like you who struggle to love him with all of their heart, mind, soul, and strength. You see, by the grace of God, 
you will see, and that's what I hope this semester, how deep and how wide and how high is the love of God for you. So let's just dig into this messy book, and we'll start right from the beginning, Judges chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. You have a text printed for you on your announcement sheet. You can follow along with me, or you can turn uh, in your Bible if you've got one. This is God's Word. Starting in verse 1, chapter 1, After the death of Joshua, the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, Who shall go up first for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? The Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have given the land into his hand. And Judah said to Simeon, his brother, Come up with me into the territory allotted to me that we may fight against the Canaanites. And I likewise will go up with you into the territory allotted to you. And so Simeon went up with him. Then Judah went up, and the Lord gave the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hand, and they defeated 10,000 of them at Bezek. They found Adonai Bezek at Bezek and fought against him and defeated the Canaanites and the Perizzites. Adonai Bezek fled, but they pursued him and caught him, and cut off his thumbs and his big toes. And Adonibazek said, Seventy kings with their thumbs and big toes cut off used to pick up the scraps under my table. As I have done, this is important, we're going to look at later, as I have done, so now God has repaid me. And they brought him to Jerusalem, and he died there. And the men of Judah fought, against, Judah fought against Jerusalem and captured it and struck it with the edge of the sword and set the city on fire. Over to chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. Now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bacham, and he said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars. But you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? This is God's word. Let me pray. Father, um, we come this semester and as we walk into this place at the first RUF of the spring, some of us have had great uh, breaks. Uh, Some of us have struggled and we come in here Uh, really discouraged. Others of us are here wondering what Christianity is all about. Still others uh, maybe uh, once were alive uh, spiritually, but now uh, they're not so sure and they wonder if you still love them and if there's still a place for them in your kingdom. Father, we come lots of places, and so we ask that by your grace you would come through this difficult passage and that you would take these words and that you would give us something to hold on to. Give us something that would penetrate our heart in such a way that we would change and live differently. Uh, Give us something that would lead us to um, conviction and repentance and give us something that would ultimately give us hope. Would you do that in the name of Jesus? Amen. Uh, Over the break, I had a student send a trailer uh, to me of the movie American Sniper. 
And you know trailers, what they're intended to do. They're intended to give you just a snippet, just a small portion, bits and pieces of the film, so that you'll actually go and pay money and want to see the entire movie in the theater in its fullest, in its fullness. And so I got this you know, trailer sent to me, and it actually did its job. I don't know if you've seen it, but it actually drew me in. It was riveting. It had me on the edge of my seat, and I never go to movies at the theater, but it actually made me want to go see the movie. And the reason why I start with that is because that's kind of what I want to do tonight with the book of Judges. I want to give us a trailer, if you will, to the book of Judges. I want to give us just enough of the plot just enough of the story that it doesn't spoil the entire book, but it gives you something to hold on to that maybe would make you want to come back week after week and hear what God might want to do in our heart this semester through this incredible book called Judges. And if you come back this semester, yes, we're going to see some disturbing things in the book, in the Bible. We're going to see some gruesome things in the Bible. But if we can see through all of that this semester, we will see that the book of Judges is really about one thing, one word, and that is redemption. The book of Judges is about God saving and redeeming His people. Over and over, page after page this semester, we're going to see on the one hand rebellious people And at the very same time, we're going to see a God who has relentless love and relentless grace towards his people. Tonight, we're going to look at two things. In order for us to really get a hold and handle on the book of Judges, we need to understand two things that are on your outline. We need to understand something about justice and something about grace. And so let's look at those two things briefly. First of all, justice. Look at verse 4. Okay, the context, as you see in this opening chapter, and hopefully you pick that up, but the context really for the entire book is that the people of Israel, God's people, have been commanded by God to go into the land of Canaan, the promised land, and to drive out the Canaanites that are living there. And if you see in that verse, that sh- we read over things like this way too easily. <laughs> But if you notice there, it said 10,000 people were killed. God's people killed 10,000 people that were living in the land of Canaan. And in fact, what we're going to see is that a lot of the problems in the book of Judges for the people of Israel, the problems that they they will encounter is all because they disobeyed God and failed to drive out the Canaanites that God had commanded them to defeat and drive out. Verse 6, they captured Adonai Bezek and cut off his thumbs and big toes. Verse 8, you see where I'm going? They strike, they go in and take the sword to Jerusalem and burn it to the ground. Welcome to the first RUF of the semester. Welcome to the Bible. Let me be honest. There was a big part of me 
if I'm honest, that said, why don't I just start with chapter 3? <laughs> that would be way easier. But if I started with chapter 3, I would be doing you a disservice. Because what I would be doing is skipping over the hard parts of the Bible and just reading and telling you about the parts that are really easy to kind of swallow. You see, if we read what's happening here in chapter 1, it is hard for us to hear with our modern sensibilities. And some of you sitting here tonight might be saying, Jason, this is it. (laughs) This is why I'm not a Christian. How in the world can you serve a God who tells his followers to go kill innocent people? Hang with me. It's a great question. Two things let's look at and work this out together that I think are worth noting that help explain what's happening here in this early chapters of the book of Judges. And the first one is this. The Canaanites were not innocent people. If you look at the Bible, look at Deuteronomy and the book of Leviticus, you'll see that Canaan and the Canaanites were actually a very evil and brutal civilization. The Bible talks about they would do things like child sacrifices. They would brutally beat and abuse the elderly and the poor. Sexual immorality was rampant in this society. Friends, there's not a one of us that would walk in to that civilization and say, oh, this is not that big a deal. This is cool. No one. And so what God does is in this unique period of biblical history, and notice I said unique, meaning this is not the norm, but in this unique period in biblical history, God commands the Israelites to be agents of His judgment on the Canaanites. It's what theologians have called intrusion judgment, which basically means that this is an inbreaking of God's final judgment at the end of time into the present. For example, the future day when God, when Jesus will return on the great day of judgment, God is actually bringing forward into Judges chapter 1 and bringing judgment on the Canaanites. This is not ethnic cleansing. This is not good guys versus the bad guys. It's God bringing justice into the world. Secondly, and what's interesting to me, look at verse 4 and 7, which I think is very telling, and I mentioned this as I was reading the Scripture. When Adonai Bezek is captured and gets his thumbs and big toes cut off, notice what he says. I did the same thing to many, many kings, and I am now getting what? I'm getting what I deserve. God's justice is being served. And so maybe now you're thinking, okay, that helps, but, Jason, that assumes that God is a God of judgment. I don't believe that God's a God of judgment. I believe, because I think that's offensive, I believe that God is a God of love. Okay, hang with me. This was helpful for me. Friends, I struggled. This is, this is not easy. <laughs> and I struggled this week, and this was very, very helpful for me. There is a, what, what I'm about to tell you, there's a man by the name of uh, Miroslav Wolf 
and he is at Yale Divinity School, and he's a theologian there, and he's obviously not from the U.S., but he's from Eastern Europe, and he had firsthand experience with violence in Eastern Europe in the early 1990s. And in case you're unfamiliar, there was a war in Eastern Europe, and it was basically a war of ethnic cleansing. And it was the deadliest conflict since World War II in Eastern Europe. And listen to how Wolf describes the war zone. I quote, Where the cities and villages were first plundered and then burned and leveled to the ground, whose daughters and sisters had been raped, whose fathers and brothers had their throats slit, And then listen to his thesis. He says the only way to convince those people not to pick up a machine gun and enter into the violence themselves was to assure them that God is a God of judgment and vengeance. And then listen to what he says when he works out his thesis. This is another quote. My thesis then is this, that the practice of nonviolence requires a belief in divine vengeance. Did you hear that? The practice of nonviolence, because you've got to trust someone else is going to take care of it. He is a belief in divine vengeance. It will be unpopular with many, and then here's the kicker, but it takes the quiet of a suburban home to believe that human nonviolence results from a belief in God's refusal to judge. Let me say that again. It's a stinger. But it takes the quiet of a suburban home to believe that human nonviolence results from a belief in God's refusal to judge. Do you see what he's saying? He is saying that only people that can, the only people that can settle into the idea that God doesn't care about justice are people like me. People like me that grew up in the suburbs, in the nice, quiet security of the suburbs, and who have never seen violence and devastation and cruelty face to face. Because he's saying, if you have tasted horrific injustice, then you don't look at God as being judge and a God who will give vengeance. You don't look at that as something that's unsettling. You actually look at it as what? Something comforting. Friends, deep down, here's the point. All of us in this room want there to be justice in the world. Every single one of us in this room want evil to be dealt with. You want a God who is just. Because if you have a God who is just, that means that He takes sin seriously. And if He takes sin seriously, that means that the evils that have been perpetrated against you And some of you have had evil perpetrated against you. Great injustices perpetrated against you. You've been abused. Some of you have been wounded or betrayed. 
And God will deal with those things. What kind of God would God be if he looked at the ugliness and the messiness of the things in the world, the injustices, and just said, ah, that's not that big a deal. It'll be okay. I'll just love them. You see, if that were our judge, what would we do? We would run them out of town the first chance we could. But you see where this goes, don't you? Are you, are you following with me here? You, it, you keep working this out and you see where it goes and sooner or later you end up and you say, wait a minute, if God's go, a God of justice and is going to... has to do something about sin, then what about me? What about the evil in my own heart? What about the things that I have done? That's the question. That is the question of the book of Judges, and in a sense, the question of history. And we see the answer in point two, grace. Look at verses two, or chapter two, verses one and two. They have disobeyed, and yet God says, I will never break my covenant with you. And so God in this passage is using Israel to be agents of justice against the Canaanites, but here's what we're going to see. They were full of wickedness too. And as I mentioned, sometimes their acts of wickedness were just as, if not more evil than their enemies. And yet, over and over and over on the pages of the book of Judges, God deals graciously with them. God comes and acts loving towards them and makes promises to them. And the big question is how? How can God, on the one hand, be just, and yet, at the very same time, also be gracious? Because think about it. If God's committed to justice, meaning He's got to punish whoever sins, then at the end of the day, He's not gracious. Or if God's committed to being gracious, and yet He just kind of overlooks sin and lets people off the hook and sweeps it under the rug, then what? He's really not just. You see the tension. That's the tension that runs through the entire book of Judges, but also runs through the entire Old Testament. And that tension is not solved until we get to the New Testament and to the Gospels when we see the Lord Jesus Christ hanging on a cross. And in that moment, remember justice smiles and asks no more, as the hymn we just sang said? In that moment on the cross, justice and grace meet. I love how one author says, at the cross, justice and grace kiss. Because you see the inbreaking of God's judgment that we see in Judges chapter 1, how it broke into the world at that point in time, it broke in another time. And that is when Jesus was hanging on the cross, and God's judgment at that moment in time didn't fall on a Canaanite king, but it actually fell on the king, Jesus. You see, the Bible says that God came into the world and He put on flesh and He lived a perfect life. And then at the end of His life, 
He died a barbaric and bloody death on a cross. Why? You know what Paul says in Romans chapter 3? To demonstrate his justice. Why would God have to go through that? Why would Jesus have to go through and experience the cross? Divine justice. He took it all. It all fell on Him. All of the weight of God's vengeance and judgment for the things that you and I have done fell on Jesus. He took, in that moment, everything that you and I deserve. Why? Because He's gracious. And because He loves you. Think about it this way. Let's suppose you commit a horrible crime. You're arrested, you go and you stand before the judge, and the judge looks and he says, you're obviously very clearly guilty. And justice must be served. And so I demand the death penalty. You're going to the electric chair. And so they come and they haul you out of the courtroom to take you to your death, to the electric chair. And as you're being hauled out, the judge says, wait a minute, wait a minute. I see here that someone has agreed and voluntarily said that they would die in your place. You look around. You don't see anyone. You're like, who? Why? And the judge says, someone voluntarily wants to die in your place because they love you. And because they would rather die and face death so that you could live and have life. And you look around and there's still no one and you're like, who? And the judge stands up, goes out from behind the desk, takes off his robe, and he goes and sits in the electric chair and dies in your place. That's it. That's what the Bible's about. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Justice is served in that moment. And yet, at the very same time, that is a gracious act that God has done. The gospel is this God is so just that He had to die for you. And at the very same time, He's so good and so gracious that He was glad to die for you. You see what this does, don't you? This gives you something that if you really believe it and it makes its way down deep into your heart, the Gospel gives you something that frees you from retaliation. It frees you from revenge. It frees you from holding grudges against your family and against your friends. It frees you from hatred and enables you to move towards people that have hurt you and love them and actually forgive them. Only the Gospel can free you to do that because God is just and gracious at the very same time. I heard a story recently about some missionaries that were ministering to a Native American tribe in the Andes Mountains in South America. And the tribe, the only way to fresh water was down this huge mountainside. And 
they said as they were learning about the tribes, you know, they would make multiple trips up and down every day to get fresh water. And one of the things they learned is when, when one of the chiefs would get owed and they had to pick a new chief, one of the ways that they would pick a new chief for the tribe was that they would bring all the men out and they would look at how strong their thighs were. They'd measure their thighs. Because the logic was this. Only, you know, the guy that had the strongest thighs was the one that had made the most trips in his lifetime up and down the mountain in order to serve the tribe. And he became the chief. They said one time they were there and a young man had fallen down the cliff and he'd broken both of his legs and he was laying there and he would die if they did not get him before the sun went down. And they said the most amazing thing happened. The chief got up And the chief took off his headdress and all of the symbols of being the chief and symbols of glory. And he climbed down and he put this young man on his back, strapped him to his back, and he made his way up the mountain and rescued him and saved the boy's life. You see, this semester, week after week, through the book of Judges, It's going to show us our sin and rebellion. But at the very same time, it's going to show us that our greatest hope is that we have a Savior named Jesus Christ that came down out of heaven and He took off all of His symbols of glory, all of His symbols of being God, and He came down and He put us and strapped us on His back And He gave us what we need. And He healed us of our deepest need, which is our sin. And my hope this semester is as we see those two realities meet week after week after week, that it will move us to the core of our being and will never be the same. I hope you'll come back. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you um, 